Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton-Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network. The Best Ever You Show is here to help you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. With this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. And now, here is your host, Elizabeth. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, gratitude, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We've got a few great guests lined up to share in our love and gratitude of of all things. So I just want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. We do this show annually now for eight years, and um, every time we do the show, I, I walk away learning something new and and feel something new to be grateful for. Um, I know just me personally, I know this show, it's funny, this Good Morning Gratitude show started out, uh, I was sitting there trying to test a new piece of uh, audio equipment for the show, and my son was helping me. My, I think I don't know how old he was at the time. Back it up, you know, probably about seven or eight. And he's like, "No, mom, you got to plug in the headphones this way and this way." And we were live on air um, as we were testing the equipment, and people started to call in, call in, while we were live on air. And I'm like, "Okay, well, if you're going to call in, and we're going to talk about things today on Thanksgiving, let's just talk about gratitude." And so it turned into this cool gratitude show and that's how the good morning gratitude show began um and then also i have a really deeply rooted um, practice of gratitude in that i'm a person who's nearly lost my life a couple times um due to anaphylactic food allergies um i developed food allergies after my uh second pregnancy and so i know what it's like to not be able to breathe and all these things so every day i when i wake up i'm like oh good i'm alive Okay, we can go from there, and whatever happens is going to happen, and most of the time it's awesome. But um, So I, I have a different definition of gratitude that just goes back to just basic breathing, um, and so just a little bit different there. Um, sometimes. Um, sometimes people are the same if they've had things happen to them like that, um, but uh, other times I'm finding people are trying to learn to develop a sense of gratitude. So I have two guests with me today. Um, one of them has to go... Um, I'll, I'll bring bring both of them in. Hang on just a second. So two Roberts are with me today. Um, I have Coach Robert Cagle, um, and then I have Robert Costa. I won't say junior, I guess. He he doesn't want me to say that, but I'm going to say it anyway because <laughs> he's got goals, so we need to put it out there. Anyway, um, so I'm I'm really, really thankful that they're both here, and I've learned so much from these two gentlemen over the past few years of my life, and so I'm really hoping that they um, – talk to you a little bit this morning um, about how they view gratitude and how it impacts their daily life and what you can do to find gratitude as well. And so we're going to start with Robert Costa because he's in a time crunch. Um, and uh, I guess, I don't know if he's got turkey to bake or football game or what. I'm not real sure. Robert, are you, Robert Costa, are you there? Robert Costa Jr. <laughs> Good yes, morning. I'm here. Good morning. <laughs> how are you? I know I'm rambling on and on. How are you this morning? No, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, started at 6 a.m. and you know helping the mother and then the father in the kitchen because we have the Thanksgiving at our house. So um, yeah, I had to kind of get out there and, and get some extra last minute things. So and where are you headed? Football of some kind. Yeah, so um, I played high school football at Durfee High School, which is in Fall River, Mass. 
home of Emeril Lagasse and the Lizzie Borden uh, unsolved history, uh, if you will. And they play New Bedford High, which is New Bedford, Mass., and uh, known as the Whalers, home of Moby Dick. And uh, um, so it, it, I think it's ranked 10th oldest Thanksgiving Day rivalry in the country uh, or top 10. It, it's up there. But uh, so, yeah, I, I've always, you know, a captain, quarterback of the football team, you just kind of continue to try to, you know, root, root your team on. And um, it, it's a cool kind of bittersweet feeling this year. We actually have a chance to beat New Bedford. Um, it, whereas, you know, my senior year was the last time we had beat them. And uh, we beat them three times in a row, sophomore, junior, senior year. And then we went on this eight-year streak of just losing every single Thanksgiving Day game. And thank God that New Bedford isn't really that great this year, so it gives us a chance. But uh, it's one of those, hey, it's cool to say, but you hope for uh, for the win this morning. So, Yeah, good. So we met – I can't, I can't even remember how we met. We met online somehow. It was either LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook, one of those. And you, I just share with people how old you are because it, you fascinate me. Uh, 26. Yeah, exactly. 26. And can you talk a little bit about your, your charity that you have and some of the things that you've done? I know I met you right when you were um, doing th- some things with, I think, it's, is it Dodge? Dodgeballing for kids, is that what it is? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Can you want to talk um, about that a little bit? Absolutely. It was uh, it was my junior year of college, and I had a class to take. It was called sports marketing, so I'm going in there thinking we're going to learn about ESPN and the marketing and um, MLB and the NBA and NFL and, and other major league franchises, and uh, it, it was nothing like it at all. It was, hey, this is the criteria. You have to create a fundraiser. It has to be a sport. You have to raise money for a nonprofit, and uh, you have to do it in the community. So um, I wanted to do something a little bit different that not many people did. And um, you're really seeing a lot more of the dodgeball stuff now uh, that the movie had come out. But this was right around the time, I think it was right before the movie or uh, the same year it came out. But um, So, yeah, I chose dodgeball, and I wanted to do it on a, a community level um, where you can open it up to – Kind of, we call it the South Coast down here, the southeastern part of Massachusetts. And uh, I didn't want to limit it to just a college campus project. So, um, where, you know, we got school systems involved and um, different nonprofits. And I chose uh, the Children's Museum of Greater Fall River, which was the, the first beneficiary of mine. And uh, we were to raise about five grand just playing dodgeball. So, um, it, that was the class project part. And then it got big, you know, I kind of got forced into, hey, you got to do this thing again next year. And that's where, on the business side, because I was a business major, I wanted to, you know, make it larger than life. And next year, we raised 10 grand. And then the next year, I think, is where we really met um, when I had the Patriot players coming, because that's when it was all over social media. Uh, You had Rob Gronkowski, you know, retweeting and posting, and Stephen Ridley came, Gerard Mayo came. um, And there there were five uh, five Patriot players that actually put a team in. So that was pretty cool. Um, But long story short, it's it's a 501c3 now. Uh, for the past few years, and um, in the four years that we have done it, we've raised about 42000 to the local children's organizations. I, I had a brother that passed away, oh. and this, this will tie in later. Um, I'll talk about that later. But um, So I've always wanted to give back to children's organizations uh, for my beneficiaries. So that's kind of that in a nutshell. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I just am always so proud of you, and, and seeing all the things that you post online, they're so inspirational. They're about success and leadership and, you know, all of 
all of these um, tools and resources really for people. And I'm, you know, I'm big into that with Best Ever You, of course. Um, but sometimes, you know, and I don't mean to sound so old or anything like that, you know, like, you know, your mother's on the phone. <laughs> Thank my mom. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes that takes a lot longer than, you know, 26 years of age to get. Um, sometimes, you know, it takes us into our 40s and 50s to get that. So I'm really curious how you um, developed that practice at such a young age. Have you always been this way? Is it something that somebody taught you? Did you teach it to yourself? Um, because you pretty much stay on point, especially in your social media. And, um, you know, just talk, can you talk about that yeah. a little bit? I, I just think that it has to do with what I want to get out of life. Um, I, I want a, a larger-than-life future for me. Um, I have a lot to live up to with my mother, and you know my father's a police officer, and my mother's in in the corporate world, um, so it, it, that was always a huge help. And if I have, if I didn't take advantage of the the opportunities and qualities and and traits and um, strategies that between my mother and father knew as people, uh, then I'd be missing the boat. And uh, I think I want to make the best of it, and that's kind of. I, I guess that's the, the the little fire in me. Uh, but then I have things like like I mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago. I had the brother that passed away, and I, and I, that another you know log in the fire. And then uh, there's just there's always wanting to do more. So um, I I think it's different with everybody. Some people um, you know they stay in their lane. Some people want to do multiple things at the same time and and uh, progress industry rather than work within industry, no matter which one it is. Um, for me, I, I like to help people, and, and I like when other people succeed. There's no better feeling than uh, being able to be a connector and then helping someone further their life because now, hey, they have a family that they need to support, uh, but you made, you were able to make a connection for someone. or And that doesn't happen unless I myself have put in the work and, and done something, not just talk about it. So, and so um, I don't know. So it's okay to have mom and dad on the phone. <laughs> But um, yeah. my question, uh, <laughs> absolutely, moms and dads are awesome. We love you guys. Um, so h- how does that play into gratitude? What Do you think about gratitude every day, every minute, every moment, um, every so often? What's your gratitude practice like? Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I will admit I don't go to church as much as I do, but I pray as much as anyone who goes to church. Um I live by the ocean a lot of times. I find there there's some, some places where you can reflect and uh, that I like better than, than the church setting. Um, but it, not that has anything to do with it. But, again, back to the gratitude part. I think for me, um, and to tie it into Thanksgiving and this year, but it's not just on Thanksgiving when you think about it. The health, I believe, is the most important part because at any time, you know, like I said, the brother that I had passed away from leukemia at two years old. And you just, you can't control these things. It's beyond your control. Um, and then I never, I was never was able to meet, to meet my, my grandmother, my mother's mother. She died two years before I was born uh, from breast cancer. So there's things that I do and how I live my life that will keep me from trying certain things, whether it's, and this is, might sound crazy, but you know, cigars or, or any high-end tobacco product like a high-end cigar, just because at any second, because how health is and molecules and not molecules, um, cells and, and they can split and you just can't control that stuff. So it kind of, it freaks me out a little bit. So I, I, try, I tend to live that straight-edge life um, with not drinking too much. And, um, and, and But it all comes back to, to the point of, of your health. 
and that anything can happen at any time. And, you know, one of the things that, and this is just, it's a very ironic thing because we're talking about it now and, um, and on the show here, but with mental illness and, you know, 40% of the adults in the United States are suffering from depression or anxiety. And it, there's something that has happened to, to my family. I have someone in the family that's very close to me that is going through the depression and anxiety right now. And this is the scariest thing in the world because when they go through that process to get admitted, it's the same thing with, with someone who has schizophrenia or they're bipolar. And it's literally, it's the craziest thing because you know they're, they're fine. They're just suffering from it, but they have to go through that process. So um, being so close to that person and going through it, I'm just grateful that, hey, I have my mental health. Uh, I'm, I'm walking this, this straight, always moving forward line. And, you know, thank God that, um, that I'm okay. Uh, so I, yeah. I think about that a lot. Yeah, I do too. And I, um, and then Coach Kayla, I'm going to bring you on in a minute here. Um, I want to add to that because I think it's really cool, especially somebody in their 20s talking about not drinking and smoking and doing drugs and living more of a straight edge because I know I, um, my, pretty much, if you, in my Facebook, if you go to the friends in there, which are mostly high school people and things like that, if you ask any one of those people, they'll tell you, I was, I was a cheerleader and I did all, you know, all these athletic things and gymnastics and things like that, but I'm, 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 I did not drink, smoke, do drugs, or anything like that. And it's a choice I made at a very, very young, young age to just not be that way and, or do those things or behave in that manner. Um, it made me sick, too, so I was kind of fortunate in that score. It was just like I had a great excuse, like, it just makes me totally sick. Um, but also just my behavior and my values and my goals didn't line up with that. And I have been that way. I've been that way my whole life I just I never wavered from that and I'm 47 now and so I mean you could really ask people they're like did she ever party and like no (laughs) no 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 and more no so I think that's really cool and there's a lot to be grateful there in what you what you were sharing for sure um so I, I just think that's really profound I hope that touches definitely touches a life because um I know it's I know I have my whole life and, have struggled to fit in at moments with that. Go ahead. There's a, there, there's a, a line that I heard a while ago. It, it just resonates with me. And it's, um, you know, people don't feel or act on, upon something until something happens to someone they love. And if more people were to, to live their life or be grateful or, or um, just be appreciative of, the situation that they're in, and they realize that before they actually have to upon, act upon what that line means, um, then I think uh, I think there'd be a little bit more positivity and a little bit more um, you know gratitude in this world. So. Yep, absolutely. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna um, move to Coach Cagle, and that frees you up too if you need to go do your football thing and you know all those good things. Um, oh that's, no, I'm, that's I'm, fine too. I'm just around, stick around, but here, coach. okay. Awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a good conversation. We have some callers too. So, if you've called into the show, um if you could um just stay patient with us for a little bit here, I'm going to try and get to the callers. But I do want to really talk with Coach Cagle. Um I follow him on Facebook. I listen to just about I don't know, every single thing he talks about, <laughs> says, does. <laughs> I love Coach Cagle. And he's also a writer on Best Ever You and we're posting more of his blogs and videos and things like that. But Coach Cagle, how are you this morning? Happy Thanksgiving. 
Happy Thanksgiving, Elizabeth, and, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody that's listening today. And, uh, Robert, thank you for your, your words earlier as, uh, as I enjoyed listening to your perspective at a very young age, I might add, Elizabeth, a young perspective, but it's a good one. And, Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's good to do. Yeah, so do you want to, for anybody who's not familiar with who you are, do you want to just give us a quick um, intro of all the things you do. Yeah, you know, I'm an old old guy uh, that happens to be in the sports world. And, um, you know, I had opportunity to play my collegiate football at the University of Mississippi or better known as Ole Miss back in the 80s and had a chance to be on on a staff uh, there on the recruiting side of things. My wife, Susan, was on that recruiting staff as well. Coached high school football, been in the business world. Um. Now I serve as vice president of, of public relations, media, marketing for National Scouting Report. National Scouting Report is the literally the world's oldest and largest scouting recruiting organization that helps high school kids get college scholarships for athletics. And, Elizabeth, you're very familiar with us, and that's how you and I connected a couple years back was through Brendan Kennedy there, uh, as I think Cameron uh, – uh, was one of Brendan's kids for for NSR, and yeah. you guys had a great experience through uh, through NSR. We're very thankful, and I'm very much thankful for that as well. Um, so that's that's kind of a little bit of background about me. Awesome. Yeah, I could just listen to you talk. You want to just? Uh, I can just be quiet, and you can just talk the whole show. <laughs> I love you. You, you sudden, when I listen to you, thing, right? I do actually, Robert. Like I would actually go to go to church like probably every day if he was talking. Robert <laughs> Costadini and I would sit in the, in the front row. But um, anyway, do you ha- do you have a, a pastor quality to you also? Don't you? Are you a, are you actually a pastor? Yeah, I was there for years. Well, I, you know, I served as a youth and family minister uh, in the Church of Christ for a number of years, and still today uh, I'm asked to, to fill in different pulpits to do speaking engagements, uh, inspirational, motivational, and spiritual uh, nature conversations and, and engagements that I go and I speak for. Uh, so, yes, I think I think once a minister, always a minister. I think that's the way you live life. Um, I think all yeah. of us have. All of us have a responsibility to minister if, if we are godly people at all. I think that uh, it, that our heart, we're, we're going to be people that, that tend to care about others and, and minister to others as well. I know that, um, you know, I try to live, and, and this is something I talk about with other people. For those of us that are spiritual in, in nature, I, I think I think life is, is really about this. Be excited about living every day, but be at peace about dying. And what I mean by that is is that if you know you've got the right spiritual relationship with your creator and you have the right relationships around you with your family and your friends, then, then there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason to live life with excitement. I think you can live it with excitement. That doesn't mean there's not going to be ups and downs and there's going to be bad days. There, there will be. That's, that's the way the world operates. But if you're at peace with who you are, and you're at peace with what you do because you're trying to treat people the right way, and that right way is is the way that you really deep down inside want yourself to be treated uh, is the way you treat other people. Uh, there may be a little biblical principle to that, but that's neither here nor there. The bottom line is is that I think I think that's who we all are. We have a uh, all of us have a service quality that's deep down inside of us that want to help other people. Uh, unless you're just completely narcissistic. Now, if you're not completely narcissistic, which you know, then all of a sudden uh, you, you you lose that need. But 
uh, I think life is about. I think I think living life to its fullest, Elizabeth, is is living a life of, that's built with gratitude and thankfulness. Uh, I think once you have lived through certain things in your life, as as we become more seasoned and mature, that means we've dealt with more and more life things. Um, you know, it's, my wife and I were sitting here. Susan is is here in the room with me, and we're talking about gratitude. And she, we love you. She said, she said, hey, you need to, you know. I'm grateful that I don't have a kidney stone today, okay? And and somebody somebody may laugh and go, well, okay, well, big deal. Well, if you've ever had a kidney stone, you're thankful that when you have a pain that, that resembles that. You're thankful that it's not a kidney stone. But if you've never had one, you don't know how grateful you are that you don't have one. And I think that's the way life is for us all. I think until you've lived through something or dealt with it with a family member, as Robert referred to just a few minutes ago, you really don't understand what it is that you're really grateful for. You know, um, you may or may not know this, Elizabeth. I don't know if I shared this with you in times past or not, but my senior year in high school, uh, and this is a long time ago, by the way, you and I are the same age. Well, you're a year younger than I am. But uh, I'm my younger than somebody. Dying. You're younger than I am today, okay? So, <laughs> okay, sorry. So, but our my my uh, senior year in high school, my, my my mother was diagnosed with cancer. Um, long story short, she passed a year later as at my as my freshman year. I was getting started at Ole Miss in October. Well, then in September, then in April, six months later, my father took his own life uh, out of depression. Uh, and what was really sad about that situation is my older brother and I were literally in the same room with him when he did it, and we actually were there and saw it. It was very difficult. So my point to this is this. We, gratitude comes from a lot of different things. Being grateful for what you have in your life, you can you can live life in one of two ways. You can either be grateful for what you have, the relationships, the families, or you can sit around and be miserable about what you don't have. I choose to be grateful for what I've got. I also realize that in the, in the blink of an eye, those things can change. So I'm grateful for God. I'm grateful for my wife and my children, Jordan and Mary Carol, and, of course, Susan's my wife of 27 years. I'm grateful for church and the friendship and the families that, that, we, that we bond together. I'm grateful for National Scouting Report and all of the 200 scouts on the ground nationwide that are doing their very best to help kids get college scholarships. I'm grateful for, for you, Elizabeth, for the friendship that we've developed and for uh, the fact that we've been able to have a professional relationship and also from time to time have personal conversations that are outside of business, and, and those are, are wonderful things. So that's kind of my perception uh, of, of where we are with gratitude and, and really my, my um, perspective on gratitude, I think. You know, I kind of rambled a little bit, Elizabeth, but, uh, no, no. you know, it's powerful, and I, I, I did know that um, about your your past. Um, I didn't know some of the the things that you just said, though, and and how that plays into um, how how you moved forward. Which is, a, I do have a question about that that I want to choppily <laughs> ask here because um, I'm not very good sometimes with sensitive topics and prying and asking people personal questions. But do you mind if I ask you a question of how? Um, I think there are a lot of people in the world who could benefit from hearing you talk about how you move you moved on from a tragic situation like that because there are a lot of things happening 
today even and you know in between then and now that have happened and people seem to really struggle with um, being able to deal and cope with tragic situations so how do you how did you you know, how are you happy and positive and grateful today with some of those things that have happened to you okay um, does that make sense first of all yeah, it does. It makes sense, okay. and, and I'm formulating. I'm formulating. You know, you know, that's not a that's not a simple answer. That's not to, no. you know, people want. Well, you got to have faith, and you got to have this, and you got to have that, and 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 they make they try to make it sound so simple to overcome tragedies and and those kind of things and trials that come up in our life, and it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Um, so so I'll start off with this. I'll start off with this. I'll say I'll say that first off. Um, for those folks that that are struggling with depression, that that are struggling with the idea of contemplation of taking your life, um, folks, step back just for a minute. Step back just for a minute, and realize that that what you what you do once you pull the trigger to a gun or you to overdose of medication or whatever the situ- whatever it is. That that is a that is a permanent solution to a very temporary problem. The problems we have here on Earth are very temporary. They really are. Yes, they're embarrassing. Yes, they, we can get ourselves in some awful situations that we bring on ourselves sometimes. Um, and and but at the end of the day, man, that is a that is a that is a permanent solution to a very temporary problem. And the problem is, is that it it leaves permanent damage behind. To, to loved ones, to people that care. And, that, and that's kind of the, the perspective I want to come from here. You know, right after my father took his own life, I went through a period of, of anger. I was I was angry at uh, at him. Uh, and still, 30 years later, you know, you, you, there's still some, some aggravate, or almost 30 years. There's, there's still some, some times where I want to be angry about the fact that he didn't get to see me get married. He didn't get a chance to, to see me play in college. He didn't get a chance to see his grandchildren that he would be so proud of. You know, those kind of things are the things that, that you look back on and you think, man, you know, he missed all this stuff. And so anger, you, you, have, to, you have to channel that anger and you have to get to a point where, where it's no longer eating at you, but you're using it to, to heal. You have to surround yourself by good people. You have to surround yourself by people that care about you. Uh, that could be family. It could be friends. Uh, I was very fortunate in my case. You know, Susan and I were dating at the time in college already. Of course, we had dated since we were 16, and we'd known each other since we were four. So, tell that's a different love story. But I love you guys. Uh, her, her parents, uh, her parents did an unbelievable job stepping in and and taking on some real pseudo roles with with me and helped me heal. And of course, I had very close ministry uh, ministerial friends that were at the time I was young, but they were in ministry and they were much older and. Of course, now they're friends of, of, of ours, and you know, as we get to be adults, but they were there as well. Uh, I think I think how you get through it is you realize that ultimately you can only control you. That's it. You have no control over anybody else, but you also have to realize that you never understand somebody else's pain completely until you engulf yourself in their circumstance. And I think we, as a society, I think we we do a great job of. You know, we we drive past the guy that's holding the sign at the corner of the street that needs food or says he's homeless, 
you know, it's easy to say, well, man, why don't you go get a job? You know, um, if you really cared, you know, and, and we're all guilty of this. If we really cared, we'd stop and, and ask the questions of them. How'd you get here? Where are you from? Uh, what put you in this place? And, and and we as a society would would take it on our shoulders to to care about people a little bit more. And I think I think that's a where I got to in, in getting over this situation in my life was was first I got past the anger. I surrounded myself by people that. Uh, well, let me back that up. People surrounded me that cared about me. Maybe maybe without me even saying I surrounded myself. Maybe it was more they surrounded me. Um, because they 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 knew I needed that help. I think then you get to a point where you realize that uh, you have to come to a term when you realize that 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 mental health is real and mental people that have mental health problems they need compassion they need they need love they need concern uh, until you've walked in their shoe you don't understand what they're dealing with and I think that that m- me over time was able to to keep a faith in God that God wouldn't put more on me than I could stand. Uh, he promises that through Scripture. Remain faithful in my in my walk with Him. Make every effort to to give Him all praise and honor and glory as we move forward. That doesn't mean you don't struggle. It doesn't mean you don't have sin in your life every day. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes because you do. But I think those things kind of all put together. Uh, it's, it's a complicated answer, Elizabeth. It really is to mm-hmm. what seems to be a simple question, but. There's so many factors that come into play with that that uh, when people, you know, you'll get you'll get these, uh, I mean, these, these, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but the, the high-profile psychologists and they'll come on their TV show. Well, you just need to do this, and it's called this is the this is what you need to do to fix. No, it's not that simple. It, it's not simple. Um, Have it, you ever had a moment where you're just like, I, I just, I just want. You don't strike me as a person who ever gives up. <clears throat> Did you ever have a moment in your life, or have you ever had moments? where you felt like giving up, and I don't mean giving up your life or anything like that. I mean just like even like in sports or any challenging situations, you know, everybody always says never give up, never give up, never give up. Give up. What does that mean to you when somebody says okay. never give up? How do you apply never give up to your life? Okay. Never give up. First of all, there's a, there's a, there's, there's a, cut, of, there's a cut of personality. There's a cut of from a you know people are cut from a cloth of I don't know I, I'm motivated by fear and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be I tell people this all the time fear of failure for me is what drives me if you ever tell me I'm not going to be successful at something or I can't do something then you're you've just guaranteed that I'll prove you wrong some way some way <laughs> I think we're cut um, from the same cloth. I don't know how, and I'm going to prove you wrong because at the end of the day, when you're cut from a competitive cloth where you want to, it's not about being right; it's about winning and and and, and gracefully losing. And there's 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 a lot to be said for that person and grateful. I think I think the answer to your question is this: I think that for me, it's always been that situation. You know, I, I was heavier when I was a kid, you know, I was a little pudgy. I was, I was athletic. I mean, I was a two, three sport guy coming out of high school. I had, I had professional baseball offer and, and SEC football. But when I was younger, man, I was, I was really heavy, overweight, you know, and I had people would make fun of you and they'd tell you that you're not going to do this and you can't do that. And you're too big. And, you know, you stand 
a foot taller than everybody else, but you also weigh 75, 80 pounds more than everybody else, you get to a point in your life where you can do one of two things. You can either accept the fact that, oh, their opinion's right and that's the way it is, or you can you can live your life to to show the fact that I am going to be the best at what we do and I am going to be the best at what I am and I am going to be the best at whatever it is. It doesn't matter if you're playing checkers or if you're or if you're riding a bicycle or you're or you're playing football. You just got to decide deep down in in yourself that today I'm going to win. Now, you have bad days. There were days on the football field that I just absolutely positively thought, I'm ready to stop this physically, mentally, emotionally. It's 117 degrees, heat index outside. I don't have any more fluids to sweat. I'm cramping at every muscle in my body, and I've still got 30 more minutes of this practice to go. You have to push through. And I think that's that's today. Again, now we're going to get into a a theoretical uh, conversation. Our society today, our kids today, the current generation and the prior generation, the one that's between the two that's between uh, our generation, Elizabeth, um, those kid, those kids don't really understand that push through. They really don't understand that that unless they're involved in some athletics uh, or very structured academic uh, environment, sometimes they don't understand what it is to push through adversity in order to make sure that you come out on the other side of things uh, as a winner. And I think that that's part of that has to do with, with our, everybody gets a trophy mentality. Um, everybody's entitled to, to be called, you know, all tournament or all County. You're not, you either earn those things or you, or you don't. Um, and, and again, I'm speaking against so many psychologists and psychiatrists and, and people that, 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 you know, they want everybody to feel good about you want to feel good about yourself, absolutely. Then put the work in to get there. And then and then you are able to, 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 to know that you've done everything you can do to be successful at whatever it is you're going to be in life. You asked me a question, and, boy, did we chase Amen. that rabbit down that hole. What you say? Sorry. I said, I said, you asked me a simple question, and we chased a rabbit way down a hole somewhere. But but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's no, all good. Um I'm going to go to Robert Costa for a minute. Do you have anything to add to that, to the conversation? Um, I, want to make sure I, I, I absolutely love – can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. Hello? Okay. You are okay. live. So I actually – I love the fact uh, when you talk about what, what drives a coach, um, fear of failure, and that that's absolutely – that resonates with me. Um, and that just goes back to how I want the bigger life and how I, I, I want to always – always do more and always do it better um, because, you know, failure is unacceptable. And it, it absolutely goes back to football. I mean, there's so many other people out there that might do swimming or, uh, like you said, checkers or bicycles or no matter what activity it is. But for me, it's football. For coach, it's football. Um, and just some of those qualities that even coach's coach instilled in him or my coaches instilled in me, it, it's the very principles that, that drive that. And there, failure is unacceptable. And that all translates to life, no matter what you do. So um, I, I like that that piece um, that that he highlighted there. So um, yeah, I do that's too. kind of my two cents. Yep, exactly. Um, Coach Cagle, how do you balance gratitude with drive? In other words, people who are very driven, very ambitious, very never give up, like cut from the cloth of fear motivates me and so forth, 
How do you balance that with gratitude? Because it could appear that you're not grateful and always wanting more. And um, do you do you ever um, not you personally experience that? But I know that's a, a common theme, and it seems to me like though when people think that, like, oh, you're not grateful, you're you know you're too driven, you're too this, you're too that. Um, that sometimes that's other people's fear talking. I don't know, it's complicated. Other people's fear talking are trying to drag people down from not succeeding sometimes. Do you, do you know a good answer for that? I know it's a really, really choppy question, but how do you balance gratitude with drive? Okay, it's not a choppy table. question. It's actually, you did a great job of trying to, to put that to words because it really, okay, if you think that. about do what did you say now? I said I was trying to articulate that, and it's kind of a hard concept. Yeah, but yeah. You and, and you, did a, good, you did a good job articulating it. Here, here's what I think. Um, I think I think that first of all, no matter who you are in life, especially as you move up a success curve, and, and whatever that success is, if you're a successful coach, if you're a successful business person, uh, if you're a successful parent, if you're a whatever that successful whatever that model is, whatever that, that definition is for you, I think, I think it all begins with this. I think that you've got to have a heart of thankfulness and a heart of appreciation, and all, which all means a heart of gratitude. I think that you've got to, to understand that you've not arrived where you are and you're not going to get to where you're going to go on your own. It's not going to happen. There's got to be support staff. There's got to be people around you that – that promoted you. There's got to be people around you that supported you. There's got to be people that worked for you. There's got to be people that were your advocate. There's got to be all those things, and you can't have those people around you if you the world is centered around you. And if the world is centered around you, therefore you lack gratitude, thankfulness, and graciousness. So having said, I think where I'm headed with this is, is that if you look around, the balance comes in, Never forget to say hello to the custodian. Never forget to ask the person checking you out at the grocery store, you know, I hope you're having a good day. How's your day going? Never forget to take a minute, that person that is is whatever clerical person that may be in your your business that you manage, operate, own, that you don't take the time to find out how their day's going. I I think once we do that, there's the balance that, that, Gratitude is shown in the little things. It's shown in, in how you live your life each day. Um, and I think that's where balance is. If you truly are a person of, of graciousness and gratitude and thankfulness, I don't think you have to – I think it comes naturally. I think it comes at a – I think balance comes a little a little more easy for you. Um, and I know that's not – it's philosophical, I guess, in nature, but, but, but it's very practical in, in the sense that you can practice it. You know, um, I read somewhere a saying that said people may forget what you say, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. People may forget what you say, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that's true for us all. I think that once this radio show is long gone, if we said, if Robert said something or you said something or I said something, the people 10 years from now may never remember exactly what was said, but they're going to remember how you made them feel when you said it. 
And that'll be the impression that lasts with them for a lifetime. That could be the changing impression for them, in fact, that lasts for a lifetime. So I think the balance comes from from your life being a life of gratitude, of graciousness, kindness, love, and compassion. I think that has to be inside who you are. Even as competitive as I am, uh, and believe me, there's only one other person I know in the world that's maybe more competitive, and I'm married to her. And that, well, that's interesting at times at our say, house. Is it me? <laughs> but, so, nope. man, let me just tell you. But all that being said, yeah. at the end of the day, you balance off. You never, yeah. you never place yourself above someone else, and you always realize that someone around you helped you get to where you are today. Yeah. And yep. I think that's important for us never to forget. Yeah, I was I was taught that at a very young age, but it was sort of natural to me too. I've always been kind of one of those creatures who's just I've always felt like a little bit more sensitive to other people and circumstance and so forth than others. It just me personally, just always more of a like I can t- you know just observing people and and empathizing and sympathizing and things like that at a very young age, and my parents noticed it too, and. Um, and so, you know, we, you maneuver different when you're really aware like that. And I remember one of the things my parents did. Um, my parents, I grew up with my parents owning a chain of video stores in Iowa and Illinois. And we were pretty privileged, but we had moments where we weren't. Um, I remember my entire eighth grade year I borrowed lunch punches, for example, from a gal um, who I won't name right now, but she knows exactly who she is because we didn't have money for me really to have um, – you know, it just, and so I borrowed a lot of lunch punches that year. And um, my my point is, when my parents were thriving, one of the things that they would do is um, adopt, you know, adopt children. For example, when they got to a point where their business was solid, they gave, you know, they gave so much back. And um, so I have an adopted brother. Um, and another thing that strikes me um, that they did was they went into a church one year. And this kind of stuff leaves a huge impression on you as a young kid. I don't know how old I was, probably like eight. And they went into church one year and they said, what does, anonymously, what does everybody need? And extend out into your families, what do they need as well? And so my parents, and I know I was thinking, okay, people are going to write down, you know, like TVs or, you know, something cool, a car, I need a car, I need this, I need that, you know, like material things. And I still have this list on my desk downstairs. Um, Toilet paper was something, Kleenex. People wrote down things like that that they needed. It wasn't at all like I thought it was. So my whole life, I must look back at that list probably like once a week Um, because what, what I thought people needed and what they really needed and what my parents thought they needed and what they really needed didn't even match up at all. And so my parents went into to church with, you know, loads of toilet paper, um, clean, Kleenex, clothes, boots, food, really basic things. You know, I don't know if I want to say we were taking for granted, but um, really made a huge impression. Have you, do you ever, have you ever experienced anything like that in your life? Absolutely. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step back in time with uh, with 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 that very similar situation when I was my family when I was younger. I grew up in the front end alignment tire business, and my family had that business. And and uh, but when I was young, uh, like three to five years old, it was really a two man operation. It was my dad and one other guy. And, 
and that's their shop, you know. And then I can remember my dad had a, a car accident and where um, he had a back issue and had two back surgeries. And we were, bottom line is I can remember a time when, when people from church showed up at my house to provide my family with the very basics, food, uh, uh, utility bill being paid. Uh, I can remember those things. Those things are life-changing. Those things, though, just like your situation with, with your family, you become you become very aware that life is, is really about, it's about necessity. We can get, we really can get by on what we need and not necessarily what we want. Um, yeah. I think it's important for us to raise our children that way. I think it's important for your children to know that story about your parents. I think I it's important for our children to see us not always be in a situation of, of we get everything we want, but yet sometimes we live with just what we need. And I think that's a good place to be in a lot of times and because that does create a, a sense of gratitude. That will create a sense of appreciation and thankfulness for what you do have. Um, yeah, and again, I, it goes I think we trade this. off too. Don't you? Don't you think you, you trade off those moments of thriving and not throughout your whole life? You know, my parents have been married 40, gosh, over 40 years now, and my dad's a stroke survivor. He had a um, stroke and all sorts of um, complications from that and so forth since 2004, and my parents weren't thriving, and the tables turned the other way where, you know, they were needing help and all those things, and so they they understood the process of being able to receive as well as give. And I think it's really important to note that I think we trade off those moments, all of us. And that's what that's to me like what I think is so wonderful about community. Even if it's like, you know, I've never met you in person, but I feel like if I ever needed something, I could call. Or if you ever needed something, you could call. Or if your family or kids or whatever. And that's like the power of like, Facebook and community and and phone calls and conversations and things like this, um, so you know, you know that trust and surrounding yourself with love because I'm not so certain a lot of people have that in reality and in person. Uh, they don't. I mean, it's not because they don't want to, Elizabeth. It's because they just don't take the time to develop. I think I think people at the heart. Again, this is maybe this is my. Um, Maybe I'm naive, but but if I am, you know, uh, let, let's take it for that. I think people in general want to be good people. I think they want to be kind-hearted people. Um, I think that's I think that's in general. I think that's that's biblically that's the way that's the way it is. That's the reason we're referred to as children. I think that's the reason Jesus went back and referred to children again to be a be a heart like this child, because at the end of the day we are pure. I think there's some purity inside of us. And we want to be those good people. We want to be those people that care about others. We want to help others, and, and we want to do those kind of things. I think it's just we, we allow our, our, our environment and our media and our circumstance and those kind of things to, to get to us. And I will share this. The, the power of social media today is, is amazing. Um, and I want to share this story. I had somebody reach out to me uh, through National Scouting Report. It was a, it was a family that – and I'm not going to embarrass the family. It was in a, it was in a state – very far away from where I am in Alabama. But this person reached out to me and, and basically says, look, I, I know you're affiliated with helping kids, and but I, I need, I also have, have read some of your posts, and, and obviously you're a person that's a spiritual-minded person. Uh, I, I need some help. Well, 
what they needed was they were they were having some financial issues and and we we explored a little bit we were able to use our connections through the social media to get them in touch with a minister and a church friend out way off away to take care and help that particular help that particular family i think sometimes what we need to do also in our in our attitude of gratitude uh, is that we need to use these mediums that we have. We need to use social media. We need to use mainstream media. We need to use personal relationships to be able to help one another, help other people. And I, and I think that that's what I like about, Elizabeth, what I really like about your show uh, is that I think your your purpose is to try to it, it enable people to do great things in order to better themselves, in order to better mankind. And I think that's what your purpose is in a lot of ways. You know, we've never talked about that, but, but I think that's uh, what's really cool about what, what part of your mission seems to be to me. So, Thank you. And that, that is it. Um, and adding that um, I, what I think I love most in the world is connecting people to other people. Like I, I love to sit back and sort of – you know, like I loved connecting my two Roberts today. <laughs> and he texted me, he's like, I have to go, i got to go do this, but that's my guy, I love him, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I knew he would love you. And I know, I know in hearing him talk and things like that, that your message was just what he needed today to hear and things like that. And that's, that's what I, I love doing. And, I, and, I, and I, what I love about you so much is that you just, you know, I could say, hey, Coach Kickle, could you come on and talk about checkers? <laughs> like you just said, we're all giggling about checkers because you said checkers. And you could probably do like a two-hour radio show about checkers, and it wouldn't necessarily be about checkers, but it would be about something profound, and it would help people and all those things. And so I, you have just this gift of, of like I, again, I'm still formulating it, but it is just a gift of, um, it's a, like a gift of grace. That's what I think, like a gift of grace and elegance. Um, and and speaking and are, and probably more articulate even, but you know, it's just this gift of thankfulness, but with this cool competitiveness too, so that you know that you can still go out there and win and do all these things, but with grace and elegance. And that's what I absolutely love about you and trust. Um, when I think about you, I think I I think that you're one of those people that you just love and trust, and you could call you up with anything and love and trust. So anyway, just trying to. <laughs> that, I'm so grateful I, for you, I, and I, I, and I'm, I, I wanted to make sure I said that because I just I'm so thankful that you're here and that you gave, gave us part of your Thanksgiving, which is a very important you know holiday. And I just thank you, you know, because you've been here for an hour with us on the radio talking to us all, and it makes everybody just feel better. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, we have a caller. And um, caller from the 845 area code, I'm going to unmute your microphone. If you don't want to talk, if you're just listening, I can't tell that, and I don't have somebody manning the board. So I'm going to just mute your, unmute your microphone, and if you do want to talk, just let us know. And if you're just listening, just say, I'm just listening. So, okay, you are live. Caller from the 845 area code. Hello and good morning. Good morning, Elizabeth. It's Jill, and I just want to say one oh, thing. Happy holidays to everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, and I love to show. Thank you so much. You're with us. Yay. I didn't know who that was in the 845 area. <laughs> yes, code. and that's the only thing that I'll have to say because I'm going to have to uh, – I, I can't talk for too long, but I just wanted to say have a happy Thanksgiving. I'm very grateful ha- to all of you. 
Oh yeah, we're I'm so grateful for you and all you do and um yeah, I just love you. Do you have to go this second or do you have like two minutes? I'll I can't be on the phone. I'll have to like unmute put me back on mute, okay, but I'll perfect. listen till the end. Okay. Okay. Gonna, Many blessings uh, for you. God yeah. bless you. God Thank bless you. you too and happy Thanksgiving. Thank oh, I love her. <laughs> That's Jill. We um gosh, we worked together so very, very long ago at Merrill Corporation. And that was my very, Coach Kegel, that was my very first job out of college. And let me tell you, can I tell you this story? Absolutely, go. Okay. Um, Very, my parents were bankrupt from that business and everything, struggling and struggling and struggling. And um, I I worked a lot of jobs and went to college and all these things. Not not a woe is me, but a driven is me um, kind of mentality and competitive and driven, and I'm going to succeed. I'm going to get through this and all this stuff. And so I'm in Iowa, and I've got, I've got my honors graduate. I've graduated. I've worked. I've done all these things. And I mo- my parents had moved from Iowa to Minneapolis, and, I, and my, me and my husband move up to Minneapolis. And we're staying in a room in their house, and I have this job interview with Merrill Corporation. And I'm driving. I have no experience in this world other than working at Walmart, basically. <laughs> you know, I, worked at, I worked at Sam's Club as a manager for, and, you know, as a cashier and manager and all that to, up through college. And so I'm driving to this corporation located on Energy Park Drive in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I'm driving in this car. The windows don't roll down. The, you know, the, the doors don't open. You know, it, it, it's driven me there, and I'm very grateful for it but I drive into this parking lot and I have to park in the front of this building. And it's one of those moments where you're like, Oh God, everybody can see me get out. And to get out of the car, I had to climb over the stick shift, roll down the right hand window, reach out, out the door and go out the passenger side to my interview. And I'm like, please, nobody see me, please, nobody see me, whatever. You know, I'm grateful for this car though. You know, there's a lot of contradictory things going on in my head. I get into Merrill Corporation, and I'm like, oh, no, what have I gotten myself into? This is way above my head. This is mahogany everywhere and really ritzy and all this stuff. And I have an interview with the CEO of this company because I have written him and said I want to work there. And it's kind of like one of those moments where you're like, careful what you wish for, you might, just might get it. And he's like, perfect. I love people who write me letters like that, and that's exactly what we want at this company. So I'm walking in. I've climbed out my passenger window, and I go into this interview, and I'm sitting there, and he's a little bit late for the interview, but the whole time I'm just getting more and more nervous, and all these things are coming up, and I'm like, oh, hey, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And he says to me, what are your goals? And I looked at him, and I said, you know, one of my immediate goals, if you look at my car out there, is to not ever have to do that again. I'm in a dress, I'm in a suit, and I just climbed over the stick shift of my car, rolled down the window, and opened this up to get in here for this interview. And that's one of my goals. And I said, I know that's a trivial goal, it's material, it's this and that, but I want to be able to drive back and forth in something I can trust to this job, you know, and all that stuff. And, um, and he was like, wow, no one's ever said anything like that to me before. And I said, and he said, so what do you want to do here? And I'm like, I don't care what I do here. I want to work here. I love it here. I think, uh, you know, this is one of the coolest companies I've ever seen. You are a leader and thought-provoking and awesome. His name is John Castro. 
he's re- since retired, but there are two people at that company, John Castro and Rick Atterbury, and I worked close, closely with them during my career there. And they hired me at, I think, maybe $20,000 a year. And so we're going to try you out. Here's a department. Here's a this. We're going to give you a job. And I arrived to my job, and my manager put a stack of materials on my desk and said, memorize this. Basically, you know, you're going to be leading the way to implement this at Merrill Corporation with our team. And I guess I'm rambling on and on and on about this experience, but it's a profound experience because I think it taught me to never give up. It's taught me to ask for what you ask for how you ask other people who are older than you in a role you want, in, in mentoring, you know, that kind of thing to achieve. If you want to achieve something, not very often, and this is, I, I want you to, if you can chime in here, please, not very often when you're trying to achieve something do people just go, okay, I'm achieving. There's a, like a team of people that surround you to help you succeed. And I'm not entirely positive everybody knows that. I think about that a lot in sports, um, especially like in recruiting and things like that and all the things that happen to help athletes succeed. It's not just an athlete out there being talented. There's like a lot that goes into that. And same with business. Um, Do you – I've rambled on and on, but what do you think of that story can you, well, can you add to it? That's yeah. Well, here's what I want to say. First of all, I think as as Susan and I, uh, and Susan continues to do this, uh, you, you know, we, we reviewed application after application, did interview after interview uh, of hiring scouts worldwide for doing the hiring for National Scouting Report. And I think that every time that someone came on paper or we visited with them by phone in a phone interview, you're looking for something that sets you apart. You're looking, and, and it's not always going to be the what I've done scenario or who I am to try to impress somebody. Sometimes it's going to be that humility to look that, that CEO in the eye and say, look, one of my goals is to improve where I am in life right now. And here's an example. I had to crawl over a stick shift, open a window, open the handle the door and crawl out in a dress in humility in order to get here today. My first goal is to get a, a get a better car. Yeah, I, I think people realize and people hear truth in simplistic, very honest answers. And I, first of all, I think that, that what you, what you, you did, you, you, you brought out something I think is, is two or three things here for, for the listeners. First, honesty is always great. Uh, in fact, there's nothing that replaces it. Secondly, humility. Boy, it took a lot of humility to say what you said to that, that individual. And thirdly, it also took a lot of courage to say those things. And never lack, now I want every, every listener here to understand, no matter what your point is in life, do not mistake humility and humbleness for weakness. In fact, it takes more courage and more bravery to be that person than it does to not be that person. But that doesn't mean be a facade. That means who you really are. My mother-in-law said something to me a bunch of years ago, and and I think this this rings true to to everybody. Uh, I think it just does. There are three phases of life. Here's what they are. Okay, you're either in the middle of turmoil right now, 
you're either coming out, the next could be you're coming out of turmoil, you're about to go into turmoil. Now, that sounds pessimistic, but the truth is what it says is, is, is to us is that life is always going to be full of transition and full of trials that we have to overcome. And if we sit back and think that life is going to be just rosy and day, full of daisies every day, then we're really trying to fool ourselves. It's not going to be that way. So we have to mentally, emotionally prepare ourselves to, to have those daily battles, those trials. And that part of what you, in that story you just shared was the fact that you, you had to overcome fear. Oh, did you have to overcome fear? Elizabeth, you had to overcome oh, some yeah. fear to walk through that door. Did you have to have some, a little bit of humility and humbleness? You had to. You had humility. You never would have walked through that door. But then the courage part of it came in. You had to have courage to say what needed to be said to somebody that you needed a job with. You wanted a job. So obviously those things came into play with that. So I think it's a very good story for everybody. I think those those things tie back into to 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 gratitude and, and I think it ties back into kindness and, and graciousness and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um we're we're at an hour and I don't want to keep you much more than that and um thank you because I I I um I share that story and I and I appreciate the um the sort of the analysis of it to kind of understand all the things that went into play there because I don't think anybody's ever done that before. I tell that story and I don't think everybody's ever um told me kind of like you just did like what I went through actually and it, now it makes even better sense to me. I you know, I'm a lifelong learner and a constant learner. And always just grateful when somebody teaches me something. And those are, that is exactly what I went through to do that. And I think so many people do. And I think one of the tricks, though, and is never to lose, those, lose that in anything that you do. Because I think once you lose those things, sort of uh, over, sometimes an overconfidence can take over and make things a little bit imbalanced. So I think it's good to have a little bit of, fear and humility and things like that so that you stay in that lifelong learner mode um, and always be open to somebody teaching you something new, no matter how old you are. Totally agree. Totally agree with that. We always need to – the minute we stop learning is the minute you begin to truly die. Uh, I think that's the that's the case. Is, is that We all know that the longer we live, the closer we are to death physically. But I think the way you overcome as much of that is, is to stay young mentally. You, you learn each day. You realize that you can learn something from someone else every day. And the minute that you think that you can no longer learn from other people, it's probably a time that you need to, uh, as the old coach said one time, you need to check up from the neck up. You know, there's a, if you think more of yourself than that, you need to have a check up from the neck up. So that's awesome. So, Torman, it's just to finish um, the show. If you were going to tell somebody, um, or coach somebody, or, or help somebody learn gratitude, or put it in practice today, like let's say somebody's listening to this show and they want to learn more about the how and the action steps to implement gratitude in their life, do you do you have any tools? Um, if it doesn't come naturally, or people have lost their grin. Uh, gratitude awareness um, for a time being of how to get that back or how to put a practice of gratitude in motion? First of all, I would say, I would say, look around you to take off, take off whatever air of pride or ego that you have 
and and take take just a few minutes and put take that off take it off and look around you find someone around you that's a little less fortunate than you are maybe a lot less fortunate than you are you don't have to give that person a single penny you don't have to give them anything at all but go say hello to them ask them how their day is give them a smile open the door for them do something positive for them, whether it's a gesture or a kind word or it may be just a, a simple smile. Then you'll begin to realize that gratitude is a way of life. It's an, it's an appreciation of what you have that you don't deserve but that you still have. That's given to you by the grace of God. And I think I think that's... Elizabeth it in a nutshell. I think if we would if we would take our time to look around us to see those who are less fortunate. You want to feel good about yourself? Say thank you to the lady at McDonald's when you drive through and you get your mocha frappe. Ask her how she how her day is. I'll share this story with you and I and I will go. About three years ago I was going through Susan is a frappe uh, she loves them. Okay, so I'm going through to get her a mocha frappe. The woman that's taking the lady that's taking my money there, uh, African-American lady, mid-30s maybe, um, had, I mean, literally with tears. She was, had tears in her eyes. And I said, ma'am, are you okay? She goes, I'm, I'm really not. I go, and this is in the drive-thru, the drive-thru. Okay. Um, so so tell, me what, tell me how I can help you today. Do you, she said, do you believe in God? I said, absolutely. She said, well, my husband died. I've got four kids. My husband died three days ago, and I just need prayers. And she broke down and cried. I left the drive-thru that day realizing that we actually had a prayer together in the driveway, by the way, in the drive-thru. My point in that is is that if we can take the time to see what's going on around us, every person that's in earshot of this of this call today, of this radio show, you can have a positive impact on someone if you choose to. But it's got to be your choice. You've got to choose that you want to have a positive impact on somebody. Now, see, it's cool. I get to do it every day with National Scattering Report, Elizabeth. I get to change kids' lives and parents' lives and make dreams come true and help kids get scholarships. That's great. That's big-time stuff. Boy, that's flashy, and that's, that's, you know, that's lights and, and cameras, and people love that kind of stuff. But what are you doing, what are you doing at the drive-thru? What are you doing at the at the, at the checkout line at, at the grocery store? You know, what are you going to do tomorrow, Black Friday, people out in radio land and blog talk radio land? What are you going to do tomorrow to help somebody have a better day? Because let me tell you, that person that's working for minimum wage that's taking your money on that on that purchase that you bought that that may be that your family don't need but they wanted. Take a minute and say something kind to them. It may be the only kindness that they see all day, and it may be something they needed to change their life. Those are my thoughts for that. Yep. Love it. All right. We're going to end this beautiful show, and I thank you so much for taking time out of your Thanksgiving to be with us, Coach Cagle. It was that's just really powerful, and I appreciate you so much. And tell Susan and your children that we all said hello and happy Thanksgiving. And thank you for and being with us. Same to you. 
You're very Appreciate welcome. And so tell much. the family to say hello and happy Thanksgiving. I will. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Robert Costa Jr. <laughs> we love him for being here today too, and to Jill. So great to hear your voice, Jill, and, and a special thank you to Coach Robert Cagle for being with us and sharing all of his wisdom. We thank you all so much for joining us for the annual Good Morning Gratitude Show, and we hope you will uh, tune in again next year for the Good Morning Gratitude Show. But in the meantime, we do probably doing like a show every couple weeks here and there, slowing down just a little bit through the holidays and so forth, um, and really um, having some key guests on that um, pertain. We're, we're going to shift into a mode of your personal best, for 2017 and um, go in those ways of um, core, heart, humanity, art, and sport. We're going to be talking a lot about that on um, Best Ever You in the next coming months. And so we really appreciate you tuning in. We love the fact that you share the show. The show has um, it's approaching 3 million downloads and shares now. And um, so we're so thankful for you all listening, listening to our guests' messages, commenting, and sharing sharing just everything Best Ever You. Best Ever You started as uh, grassroots, me and a neighbor, um, just starting up a website. I quit a job, and um, always grateful for her, Debbie Hastings. And um, we had a little website, and it's just sort of grown into into what it is, And but it's all you. Um, it's It's definitely not us. It's you guys and all of the people that contribute to the website and to the radio show and to the social media posts and the sharing and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and everything um, to help make Best Ever You what it is because you all change. Um, You're just life changers. Um, Just thought leaders and life changers and I love you all. So thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving and have a great rest of your day and week. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Best Ever You Network. For more information, just visit us at besteveryou.com.